Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Join me on a trip this morning to the southern coast of the Mediterranean. So we're going to stand on a beach and we're going to look north across the horizon would be Italy. Um, A young man is standing there. He is uh, standing on the shores of eastern Libya near the city of Derna. His hair is completely matted to his head. So too is his clothing to his body. Everything and everyone is the color of mud. He survived uh, by running across rooftops as surging waves of mud uh, collapsed the buildings behind him. Everyone perished. Many of them asleep in their beds as the rain fell, the dams broke, and the city of Derna was pushed into the sea. This young man is standing there, and he says, We used to come to the sea to watch the boats, to see the sunlight dance upon the water. Now we must live here by a sea that has become a graveyard. My neighbors, my friends, everyone, this is now their graveyard. That is one of so many quotes being uh, posted this morning. More than 5,000 now counted among the confirmed dead, 10,000 more uh, missing. Heavy rains fell in northeastern Libya, causing two dams to collapse and surging more water into an already inundated area. Um. Let's start with the reality of heavy rain and dry ground. 16 inches in six hours in a region that normally gets 21 inches in a month. It fell on ground that is, at this time of year, like concrete at the end of a hot, dry summer. The coastal cities lie at the end of long valleys that run from high mountain ranges to the south of the Mediterranean. Two dams collapsed as this channel of water surged down these uh, these rivers at, at the bottom of what used to be valleys, but um, you know, obviously the rivers um, have cut new paths in the last couple of days. So all of that concentrated this powerful wall of water, like an avalanche of debris and mud, simply sweeping across everything in its path to the sea. The storm was called Daniel, and the destruction is being described with words like apocalyptic. One person described the scene as what it must have looked like in the days of Noah. Everything is gone. Everyone is gone. The sea is now a massive grave. 
in this one coastal city of Derna, which is just one example of what's going on up and down the coast. But uh, 20% of the city was washed into the sea. That's the, that's the recent estimates. And so it would lead to a conversation today about where you build your life, where you build your life matters, how you build your life matters. Storms come. Sometimes you cannot outrun them. Whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Pray with me today for those affected and pray today for the opportunities that each one of us has to draw others into conversations today about the days of Noah, about the reality that floods come, about the teaching of Jesus about two builders and the foundation of life. Some people view natural disasters like this one through the lens of Noah or Jonah, seeing them as God's righteous judgment, and others view disasters like this through the paradigm um, that the Apostle Paul describes in the book of Romans, seeing disasters as a consequence of humanity's initial rejection of God's rule, the reality that we now all live east of Eden and all creation groans with eager longing for man's redemption. I don't pretend to know the mind of God on this matter, why he allowed this particular flood, why he allowed the fire in Maui, why he allowed the earthquake in Morocco, why he allowed the tornado or the derecho or the storm that devastated your home, your town, your family, your life. What I do know is this. God is good, and his plan is redemptive, and his hope is real. So I encourage you to reread the stories today of Noah and Jonah. Reread the stories today of um, the people of Nineveh, the people of Rome. Reread the, the stories today. Um, about God's redemptive and good plans. And then build your life on the firm foundation of Jesus. Storms will come. They will. Some will withstand. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Heather Zeiger is joining us now. She's a science writer out of Dallas. She's a research analyst with the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity. And I do not yet know, but I'm about to find out if she has a cowboy name. Heather, do you you live in Texas? Do you have a cowboy name? I mean, are you like I, I, Heather the Knife Zeiger or Heather <laughs> Moral Arbiter Zeiger? I don't know. Do you have a mm-hmm, arbiter I, of truth? I, I've never been given a cowboy name, but I feel like I it's need just, to have one now. I feel, I feel like nobody I'm talking with today has a cowboy name, including me. I mean, there's people on the text line that they're like, cowboy name? I don't have a cowboy name. Paul, our producer, has found a cowboy name generator online, but I don't find any way that you can like type your own name in there and you know have it generate a name specifically for you. It just generates general ones like Julius Midnight Barton or Guy Jester the Jester Hatfield. It doesn't, you know, I can't type Heather Zeiger in and be like, well, what would her, what would her, you know, cowboy name be? Mm -hmm. I feel like this is a good conversation for people to have today. Yeah. 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 There's a context. We're going to talk um, after our conversation with you. We're going to talk with uh, John Erickson. He's the author of the Hank the Cowdog series, which if you're not familiar with Hank the Cowdog, I intend to improve your life today by introducing you to him. So there you go. Hank the Cowdog. It's the best audio out there. I mean, it's better than Mornings with Carbon. There's just no question about it. It's the best audio out there, and it's meant to be um, read aloud. So that's that's uh, one of my favorite parts of it. Okay. 
On with um, maybe, well, this would be relevant to Hank. He would like a conversation about, is the summer of 2023 the hottest on record? Turns out, yeah. Okay, so what does that mean? What does that mean? Like, I mean, I, I guess I wonder when we talk about the hottest on record, like, how long have we been keeping records? How do we know these things? How do we judge? I mean, it's not been the hottest one where I live, but, you know, that's, I'm like a man whom statistic. Yeah. So, and we need to keep that in mind. So you make up a good, you make a good point because it's not necessarily the hottest where you live and where I live. Um, July is always super hot. So I don't know that it was more or less than normal. Um, but they're talking about global average temperatures. And so NASA said a while back, it said um, July 2023 was the hottest month ever recorded since they started taking measurements uh, since the U.S. was taking measurements. I think it was the late 1800s since 1880. So, um, that doesn't mean that, and then this summer was one of the hottest summers on record. Now, it's looking like this year is not the hottest year on record. The hottest year so far, it, it looks like if, uh, if temperature trends continue as we think they are, 2016 was the hottest year on record. So um, anyway, it was a pretty hot year in July. Here in Texas, it's always very hot in July, but there were a few days that we did break some records. So, um, but there were also a lot of places uh, throughout the globe. You I saw this in Europe. You saw this in, um, I believe, Australia, where they really had some high temperatures. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, we want to be sure that we understand that 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 can be a problem when you don't have the infrastructure, and that especially affects people who are poor or living in places where there isn't good infrastructure to deal with temperature extremes. So I think that's where the concerns are. I will tell you, Carmen, that um, so the UN is saying that this is due to fossil fuels, right? This is due to mm-hmm. consumption of fossil fuels. But um, I was reading up uh, by this expert in, uh, I believe it was the University of Arizona, and he was saying that, well, it's not just that we're dealing with climate change and fossil fuels, but you also have these all these converging factors that are probably affecting why it's so hot this year and why it'll probably be very hot next year. Um, And he mentioned uh, a couple of things. One of those, that big volcano that happened in uh, near the island of Tonga. So that happened at the beginning of 2022. It was a massive underwater volcano. And we know just like if you read your history about Mount St. Helens or you remember that volcano that happened in Iceland in the early 2000s, a volcano eruption has it, it affects its immediate air, immediate area the most but it does have global effects and this particular volcano put so much water in the atmosphere that it actually did affect uh affect temperatures because water is a greenhouse gas so now keep in mind volcanoes also put like sulfur dioxide which is a cooling gas but there was actually so much water spewed into the atmosphere that overshadowed any uh, cooling effects so that we might be seeing the effects of that of course that's not going to be it has global effects, but it's not the same throughout the globe. And then, of course, this is an El Nino year. So El Nino has to do with sea surface temperatures in the ocean, uh, in the uh, on the Pacific Ocean, and then how that air circulates. So El Nino is one of these things that's cyclical, but it's kind of intermittent. So whenever we have El Nino years, we tend to have high temperatures. So, for example, 2016, the hottest year on record, was an El Nino year. And we are looking at an El Nino year this year and next year. Okay, so then there's also 
this was mentioned. I have no idea how much this is affecting the heat or not, but there has been a lot of pollution reduction measures, particularly among steamships and shipping uh, that went into effect in 2020. Well, pollutants tend to be cooling agents like sulfur, like I mentioned. So whether or not that affected our temperatures, I'm not exactly sure. It seems to me that the volcano and especially the El Nino effects are really going to um, play the biggest role. Uh, he also mentioned, this expert also mentioned, I've, I've read about this before, that we tend to, we don't notice this as much because we have electricity and all of this stuff, but we tend to go through these times of like interglacial periods. So if you think on very large time scales, um, if we're looking at like, ice ages and mini ice ages and interglacial periods. When you get towards the end of what they call interglacial periods, and I'm going a little outside my expertise here, but it is really interesting stuff to kind of look at how these things cycle. When you get towards the end of these interglacial periods, you get larger amounts of biomass and occurring in wetlands, which is neat, but it also means that when this dies off, that releases methane, which is another greenhouse gas. So you have kind of all these things working together such that we really are we're having a very hot year i think the important thing is to keep in mind well there are some things we can control and then there are some things uh there are some things we can't control and then we should take responsibility for the things that we can and be good stewards and also um help those and be willing to uh you know work with those who are dealing with things like famine and drought uh, and, uh, you know, food insecurity because they rely on agriculture and they're, and they're dealing with some of these temperature extremes. Um, and that, those are ways we can pray and those are ways that we can, we can actually be good examples and uh, show God's love to others. That's so helpful. Um, mm-hmm. Heather, science hustler, but not a cattle rustler, Zyger, and I will continue this conversation in just a moment. We are going to uh, ask about India's recent lunar lander and what we learned. Also, that unidentified golden specimen that has captured our public imagination. Yeah, we're going to ask about that as well. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks so much for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Hey, I'm Susie Larson. Hey, if you enjoy what you're listening to here, would you consider subscribing to other great faith radio podcasts like mine? Search Susie Larson Live at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hit subscribe and have a great day. Uh, All right. Uh, If you're like me and you saw this uh, unidentified golden specimen, you may have thought to yourself immediately, well, (laughs) that's the snitch. That's the snitch from Quidditch (laughs) in Harry Potter. Um, The guys that were actually observing uh, the seafloor at some 3,300 meters or two miles down in the Gulf of Alaska saw this uh, golden specimen and one of them called it a yellow hat. That's this terrible description. It's doesn't it look like the uh, the the snitch the 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 Quidditch flying ball in Harry Potter? Yeah, it kind of looks like someone threw threw the snitch really hard against a wall and it kind of splatted. <laughs> a little bit I of mean, a splattered snitch. Yes. Yeah, yeah. No, this is really interesting. A lot of people. Um, a lot of people don't really know what it is. They think it's biological and in, in that, you know, it's like dead coral or dead sea sponge. But uh, yeah, this is a, an Alaska mission that's uh, looking at the Gulf of Alaska. So that's between Kodiak Island or Kodiak, Alaska, all the way to Seaward. And they're looking about two miles deep. 
And this is kind of, you know, they're looking just to find out unexplored areas of the ocean. Um, and they find this gold looking thing, which it almost looks like a, I don't know, a, a piece of trash or a snitch that's been broken or whatever. And they, they still have to figure out what it is. They don't know. Um, but I really like this one quote. I like this one quote from the expert. He said, you know what? This is somewhat humbling to be stumped by this finding. And it serves as a reminder of how little we know about our own planet and how much is left to learn and appreciate about our ocean. I thought that was yeah, pretty cool. And how willing we are to just grab something and bring it to the surface, even though we don't know what it is or what it <laughs> right. might do to our environment once we bring it up two miles. So I'll just set that aside and we'll see what happens. Um India went in the other direction instead of to the depths of the sea. They went to the moon. What did uh, we all learn from India's lunar lander? Yeah, so this is cool because it was it was India's uh, the India Space Research Organization's first successful moon landing, and um, they have a their lander is called Vikram and their rover is called Pagram. And they've learned four things. Uh, remember, everybody's trying to go to the south pole of the moon because if you're going to have a moon station, this is where you would want to do it because there may or may not be water. This may be a good place. So they did some studies. One of the things they found is that uh, they studied the moon's ionosphere. So a planet has this layer of ions, and that's kind of the interface between your atmosphere and outer space and all this is it sounds like i'm i'm talking technical stuff i'm not this is where the sun's rays hit the molecules that make up our atmosphere and it causes the electrons to fly off so we didn't think the moon had for a while there they didn't think the moon had one of these because it doesn't really have an atmosphere well then uh, i guess it was back in the 1970s they determined yeah maybe the moon does have an ionosphere and maybe it's got a very very thin atmosphere so they were able to study this ionosphere and they found that yeah around the south pole especially there there is a layer there but it's not enough that will affect radio communication so our ionosphere can affect like our gps and some of the things that uh, are trying to interact with satellites and so this is cool in that it will not affect radio communication between earth and moon so that's neat. And you learn more about this um, ionosphere. The other thing they learned is the temperature of the moon's soil gets cooler as you dig further down. So mm -hmm. if you were going to, and this is, again, important if you're going to have some sort of um, space station or whatever on the moon, what can you do with the soil? So they dug about eight centimeters below the surface and found, and keep in mind, you know, the moon doesn't have an atmosphere, so there's nothing, nothing helping. And this is the dark side of the moon, so it's not getting the sun. So it's very cold. So they found that um, as you dig a little further, it's about 140 degrees Fahrenheit cooler than the surface, keeping in mind that the surface is like negative 10 or something degrees Fahrenheit. So it's very cold and it's even colder. And so even though the surface is very cold, it turns out that it's warmer than studies done by NASA back in 2009 had thought it was, which means, unfortunately, we didn't, we're not going to have any ice, water in the form of ice uh, below the surface or on the surface because it's just not quite cold enough. They've also probably measured some, a moonquake. There was some sort of rumbling, and they still have to definitively determine if it was like an asteroid impact or if it was a little moonquake, but they think it was probably moonquake, so that's also neat. And then the last thing that they found was sulfur. So on the moon's surface, they found sulfur, aluminum, oh, calcium, iron, some of these things. But the important thing is they found sulfur. So one of the theories is that the moon actually originally came from molten rock. Sulfur comes from lava so mm. the fact that they found sulfur was actually a little weird and they're 
trying to look at, okay, did this sulfur come from back in the day when the moon was molten or did it come from some sort of asteroid or other kind of impact on the moon? According to Hank the cow dog, um, the moon is an oatmeal cookie. Well, just letting you know, not confirm that it would sink. And the only reason that it floats out there is because like oatmeal, you know, oatmeal floats on the surface of milk. That's that's the way Hank the cow dog discerned that we have a cookie moon. Anyway, there you go. He barks it up. I don't know what else to tell you. Um, It's uh, (laughs) we do have some cowboy names coming in on the text line, Heather. I mean, you awesome. You, I know you and I are concerned about what's happening on the dark side of the moon and other people are letting me know what their cowboy names are. It's it's a lot going on out there today. Yeah. 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 It's so good. It's so good. It's always so good to talk with you. Thank you so much. Thank you for allowing me to have a little bit of fun, um, with, with science and, um, and yes, you can go now get a poster made, um, Heather, the science hustler, Zyger. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Well, I'm just letting you know that we have a listener whose name is Steven who says, cowboy names? We love cowboy names. When I was a kid, I went to a Western fun park with a friend, and we had wondered posters made. And to this day, my family still calls me Horse Steven Steven. So there you go. It's, it's yeah. Apparently, you and I are I missing feel like, out. We got I was about to say, I missed out on something in my childhood there, because that totally sounds great. Right now. <laughs> it's totally what I'm thinking. All right, Heather, thank you for helping us not miss out on all of the science headlines. Uh, that's Heather Zeiger. You can uh, you can find her um, at the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity. You can also find her at heatherzeiger.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. All right, Hank the Cow Dog. Uh, you may be saying to yourself, "Why is Carmen so excited about uh, this conversation with John Erickson?" Uh, John is the author of the Hank the Cow Dog series. He's the creator of the characters. He is um, the author of the songs. He is the voice on all the audio. Um, and there are lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of Hank the Cow Dog books um, or stories, maybe I should say. Um, John uh, went to seminary. John is a a person um, formed in the faith and informed by the scriptures of the Old and New Testament. Um, but really, I think that his um, his penchant for storytelling is what is such a gift here. Um, and he believes in the oral tradition of storytelling, um, which obviously we get as a gift from those who passed along what we've received as the Old Testament, you know, it was first passed along as oral tradition for generations. And the um, the way that John Erickson is able to write stories that speak generation to generation and stories that we want to read aloud to our kids and grandkids and then tell one another um, in moments like, oh, well, India landed on the far side of the moon, and did you know that it's a cookie moon? Well, of course, it's not actually a cookie moon, but don't you think a kid would be captivated by the idea of a cookie moon? Yeah, exactly. So um, captivating stories, wonderful storytelling. I am thrilled to introduce you or um, to share with you, if you already know him, uh, my conversation with John Erickson and his character, Hank the Cowdog. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. I could start off by singing Watermelon, Watermelon. K-92-3. 
cantaloupe, black-eyed pea, or I could just start the uh, the ha-ha game. Uh, instead, I will be more appropriate, and I will introduce to you one of my absolute favorite all-time authors, and his name is John Erickson. John, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. I'm delighted to be with you. We uh, we have a version of Wallace and Junior near where I live. Uh, we have a version of Rip and Snort. We have a version of Hank the Cowdog, um, and we have been known as a family to um, say when we don't want to do something, when we're being asked to do something that we don't want to do. Oh, my leg. Oh, my leg. Um, I have been accused of being a lot like Sally Mae in certain circumstances, and um, and we have thieving raccoons. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So I'm just I'm just letting you know, like I we love the characters of Hank the Cowdog, the whole series, and we are big fans. Well, thank you. I'm I'm honored. All right. And so when I hear your voice, I, of course, hear the voice of Hank the Cowdog, because we have, in addition to reading the books, like we love the audio books. Talk with us about maybe how Hank came to be. For people who are not familiar with the Hank the Cowdog series, well, first of all, I'm just sorry, because you should be. It is the most beloved audio book out there. It's designed really for adults, but actually children uh, are its biggest fans. And so I want to talk with you a little bit about that, John, as well. Just introduce people to Hank the, Hank the Cowdog and how it got started. Well, all right, let's take a quick, a quick run through my little life. I was uh, raised in a little farm and ranch community in the northern Texas panhandle named Perryton. And uh, it was it was a nice place to grow up. But uh, when I was a kid, all of our entertainment came from New York and Los Angeles. And a kid like me <clears throat> dreamed about going to the bright lights and uh, Perryton had never produced an author before, and I didn't know that writing was something that I could dream of doing. I thought about being a uh, minister and a lawyer and a politician and uh, a cowboy and a rancher, but never gave much thought to writing until I was at the University of Texas, and i I made my best grades in classes where I could write essays, and I started doing some writing on my own and um, took some uh, independent study courses that allowed me to write plays instead of essays. One thing led to another, and uh, in 1967, I married a lady from Dallas who recognized that I... I had some gifts and that I was supposed to be a writer, and she always supported me in that, or else I wouldn't have done it. And uh, we lived our first year of marriage in in Boston. I was a student at Harvard Divinity School for two years, and uh, then we moved back to Austin for two years and uh, traveled to Perryton to visit my folks and never quite got away. I had never considered the possibility that I would ever want to go back home and much less be a writer from a little town that uh, had never produced a writer and didn't even have a bookstore. But it was a nice place. Uh, It was quiet and it was peaceful and we put down roots there. I got a job as a ranch cowboy and I, I worked on ranches for seven or eight years and that's where the 
story material that goes into the Hank stories came from. While I was cowboying, I, I had a neighbor, a rancher, who had a dog named Hank. He was an Australian shepherd, and the cowboys all, all hated this dog because he was always trying to help us when we had cattle in the pens, and he was always <laughs> causing a mess. But he never knew why people were screaming at him. Get out of the gate, go to the house, get in the pickup. And he gave us this wounded look. He just didn't understand. He was trying so hard to help. He thought he was head of range security. And I thought that was a funny character. I never recognized that Hank would become a star and that I would eventually be working for him. But in 1981, I was writing for uh, livestock papers. That's where I ended up doing my literary apprenticeship. I thought that I might do it in the New York Times or the New Yorker magazine or the Paris Review, but they all turned me down. So I learned my craft by writing humor articles for uh, Livestock Weekly and The Cattleman and Western Horseman. And uh, I wrote a funny story for The Cattleman magazine about this dog, Hank, and at the time, I was working on a ranch in Texas that had a dog, a little dog named Drover, short-haired, sawed-off, chicken-hearted little mutt, and uh, a cat named Pete. In that first story, uh, I had these characters named Slim and High Loper and Sally Mae, and all of those characters were fully formed in that first story. And amazing. Uh, I never knew there was magic in those characters until I read that story aloud at the Rotary Club in Perryton, Texas. It was a free program, and uh, I was kind of curious how uh, the Rotarians might react to this Hank story. I'd never read it aloud to an audience, and they just—I was shocked how how they responded to it. They they almost fell out of their chairs laughing, and after the program. The local optometrist came loping up and said, John, that was great. You need to do more with those characters and with that dog. And I shiver sometimes thinking about what would have happened if I hadn't done that free program, if Dr. Billy Nallen hadn't been there that day, if he hadn't come up and told me what he thought about it, or if he'd told me and I hadn't listened, because mm -hmm. that was my first indication that there was magic in those stories. And that's, I decided, well, maybe I ought to try to give him a whole book. And Well, I'm here to tell you that uh, Hank, Hank the Cowdog is, um, is magic. There is magic in it. You guys can check it out at hankthecowdog.com. We're going to continue our conversation uh, here with John Erickson, the author, the cowboy, the man behind the dog or beneath the dog or run by the dog, whatever. And I'm going to see if I can engage him in just a minute, if he can be baited into a game of deadly ha-ha. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. 
And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. All right, have you ever heard of the Deadly Haha game? Maybe you have played it. We're going to see if I can bait John Erickson into it now. Ha! Ha ha. Ha ha ha. Ha 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 ha. Ha 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 Reader of or listener to Hank the Cowdog, uh, I am here to say you are missing out. Um, somebody has done the math. You could listen for some 291 hours and seven minutes, and that's how long it would take you to listen or read the current Hank the Cowdog series. So, John, how many books are there now in the series? We brought out number 79 about two months ago, and we're getting number 80. Uh, I've, I've done the recording for number 80 and uh, my son Mark and I recorded two songs for it um, <laughs> in the studio in Amarillo and it'll be out probably in October and, and I've got six more written on top of that. So Oh, fantastic. So um, there, there, are, there are songs. Um, this is one of the reasons why you should listen to Hank the Cowdog uh, in addition to reading it. This is why you should listen because there's songs in here. And um, John, I, I have to admit that we as a family find those um, some of the funniest parts of the books, of the of the stories, um, because you sing. And you don't just sing in Hank's voice. You sing in the voice of, um, you know, of our friendly buzzards. Or you sing in the voices of, well, on and on and on. You do all the voices. This is one of our favorite things. Yes, I, and those stories were never meant for children, but they they were always meant to be read aloud. And uh, my audience, insofar as I had one in mind, was a farm and ranch family sitting around the dinner table after supper on a cold winter night and reading stories aloud to each other. And the songs come out of the same oral tradition. I'm not a trained musician, but uh, I've sung in choirs all of my life, and Chris and I have sung in the in our church choir for probably 40 years, and uh, we're we're pretty well trained uh, musicians. I I love music, and uh, I think that it it adds depth and feeling and humor that you can't get with just words. Yeah, amen. Watermelon, watermelon, watermelon cantaloupe, black-eyed pea, watermelon. I mean, I know. Yeah, it's just uh, it's so great. It's all so great. Um, John, these uh, you, you mentioned that, you know, they're not necessarily written with children in mind, but our kids love them. Your stories make us laugh, but you deal with real personalities, real difficulties, getting lost, being rejected, being ganged up on, threatened, storms, drought, fire, a lot of which you obviously deal with on the ranch in your real life. So maybe draw that connection for us between real life and the stories you're telling. If I didn't work on my ranch, I would have very little in the way of story material. I get story material. We live on a ranch 40 miles from the nearest town. I spend most of my time alone or with my wife, Chris, 
and uh, I spend a lot of time with uh, my two dogs, with horses, cattle, coyotes, buzzards, roadrunners, rattlesnakes. I was bitten by a rattlesnake two years ago. So um, my life on the ranch lifts me out of my own mind and introduces me to animals and to weather and uh, that is the source of my story material. It's so great. It's so real. Um, for those of you listening, John also has a number of other things he has written, including several nonfiction books, uh, in addition to the wildly popular Hank the Cowdog series. Maverick Books is the publishing company, and you had to start your own publishing company because nobody would publish your books. And now, uh, some 11 million uh, volumes in, I bet they regret that. Yeah, I expect that they do. And, uh, but you know, they they didn't want me, and it's turned out to be a real blessing. As I said somewhere in one of my books, sometimes blessings come disguised as dumb luck. I was, I was uh, turned away by the publishing and the entertainment business, and I'm so glad now because my wife and I and another family in Perryton control uh, every word that goes into those books. And mm. we are churchgoers, we are believers, we are parents of children, and we understand our responsibility for providing your family with entertainment that uh, nourishes their spirit. Well, we love it, and um, I don't mind saying out loud, we love you. One of the things that uh, I have read that you have said, I'd like to just read to everybody. John says of himself, a writer writes... That's who I am and what I do. I write four hours every morning, seven days a week. I wasn't smart enough to be a plumber, and I'm too old to get an honest job. It's not what I set out to do in my years as an apprentice writer. It's much better. I work for a dog, and he paid off my ranch. I've tried to give my readers the gift of innocent laughter, and we've sold over 10 million Hank books. I've never published anything that would shame my mother, and I sleep well at night. When I'm not worrying about the drought, uh, I'm still living with the same gal who brung me to the dance 55 years ago. My dogs like me, and sometimes I think my kids do too. John, I just um, I want I love that, and I wanted to say thank you. I wanted to say thank you for being a writer we can trust, a voice we absolutely love in our home, and I want to thank you for the gift now of the third generation of LaBerge kids who are um, who are being raised with Hank the Cowdog, and um, so thank you. Well, that's that's a great compliment, Carmen. Thank you. Yeah. That's John Erickson. If you are not familiar with Hank the Cowdog, um, then you really can't understand me or uh, or my family. So I invite you in to the, into the tribe uh, of, of the avid listener. You can visit Hank the Cowdog at hankthecowdog.com, Facebook, Twitter, you know, all the places. I encourage you to uh, check out the audio and, and then, yeah, get the books. But um, I just tell you, we are huge fans of audio. And now that you've heard John Erickson's voice, he does all the voices and sings all the songs. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. She's teaching me a lot on how to have everyday conversations. It's hard to keep up with what's going on in the world and not get upset about it. And she has a way of bringing in the Christian viewpoint without getting riled up and just being able to talk to people. 
Why do you listen? What's your faith radio listener story? Um, thank you, first of all, and again, for the time, the shared time. The, it's the most valuable gift you and I have to give to each other each and every day is, is our presence, is, is our time. And so thank you for the gift of your presence day in and day out. In this effort, it is collaborative. I view this as something that you and I do together each and every day. Um, It's made possible because of gifts from people just like you. Others just like you um, have given in the past financially to support the Ministry of Faith Radio, Northwestern Media, the University of Northwestern St. Paul. Like that was, that's our, you know, constellation of ministries here. Gifts to Faith Radio um, go expressly and uh, explicitly to the support of programs like this. And so thank you. Thank you to those of you who have given in the past. If you have ever given a gift to Faith Radio, thank you for the person who is being reached right now with the good news of the gospel and the person for whom today will become the day of salvation because you invested in this ministry. We are a gospel-centered, gospel oriented ministry. We want to see the gospel of Jesus Christ advanced in every direction at every moment of every day um, all over the world. And so thank you for helping to make that happen. Uh, We are going to have a fall fundraiser in a couple of weeks. Uh, If you have been listening for a long time, you know how that works. If you are new to, um, to this ministry, then maybe you, you've never really thought about, I wonder how all of this gets paid for. And so part of the fun of fundraisers is that we get to hear the stories of lives that have been impacted, conversations that have been changed. And so we need your listener stories, your faith radio story. And so I'd love for you to go to the website, uh, myfaithradio.com, and uh, and there's a, where, there's a place right there to click on to share your listener story. And if you say to yourself, hey, all I got my, is my phone right now and um, and I'm busy doing other things, just text me and I will maybe text me the word story and I will shoot that link back to you so uh, to make it really, really easy. So you can text me 877-933-2484, 877-933-2484. Text me the word story. I will send the link back to you. And that's a great way for you to help in our preparation for the fall fundraiser. Our theme is going to be this day and that day. So we're going to talk about all that happens in this day in light of the day of Christ, which is to come. And so you can be prayerfully preparing with us as we we consider together the future filled with hope that God has planned and, and all of the good works that he's planned in advance for us to do. Obviously, resources need to be released into the ministry to make that happen. And so if you're in a position to do so today, you can give a gift. You can text the word GIVE to 877-933-2484, or you can always give online at MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thank you for the gifts given in the past. Thank you for the gifts given recently. Thank you for the gifts given today. Um, It matters. Uh, This is actually how it happens, and you are essential to this process. And so thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you very, very much. Um, Go out there and be shiny today. Be that um, strange, glowing, light-filled thing that people look twice at and wonder what it is, um, like the gold orb found at the bottom of the ocean uh, off the coast of Alaska. Make people wonder about who God is by checking out uh, you and your life today. Have a great day.
and God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.